Hey guys, welcome to MathCath, the podcast in which I, a Catholic, use mathematics and more to describe his view of the world. Today, we will be detouring into the book of Exodus, more specifically Moses, more specifically the burning bush. The next two episodes will also be concerned about Moses. Uh, Don't worry, we're not done with Genesis. There is a lot to talk about in Genesis. I am just taking a detour for now, since this story is also more well-known than the nitty-gritty in Genesis. So, let's take a detour there. Uh, Also, if you haven't noticed, my piano sounds a little different today. I decided to change up the timbre and make this more exodus-y. That's a new word now, coined by me, exodus-y. Whenever you're describing Moses and Egyptian slaves, use exodus-y. Um... (laughs) That's weird. But we're going to talk about, is the burning bush possible? Can a bush be on fire and not consumed? And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, it is written, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was not consumed. Yet we still call it the burning bush. Okay? So, if the bush wasn't consumed, how can we say it's burning? That's kind of confusing to some, but I'm going to use this analogy compared to water. Water is like going to be the fire in this scenario. Water on paper or cardboard completely ruins it, right? The paper and cardboard absorb it. It gets weaker and it can like rip up the paper. Water on, say, plastic, no effect, right? You can just wipe the water off, but water... On cloth, like a shirt, pants, gloves, whatever, it the cloth absorbs the water, so you can't just wipe off the water, and you can't just say, "Oh, that's got like it's not ruined by the water, right?" I can still get this dry eventually and back to normal condition. So the water doesn't affect the cloth that. Terribly. I don't know why I'm grabbing my shirt when I'm every time I'm saying this. You guys can't see me, but every time I say cloth, I'm grabbing my shirt. Um, sorry. Um, but now let's take that consideration to fire, right? What can be on fire but not consumed by the fire? And we are going to go back to that in a bit. But for now, let's talk about plants and fire. Can plants be on fire and not consumed by the fire? Can plants be better than fire ever? Right? Because our general understanding is that plants are burned by fire, right? Water puts out fire and plants absorb water. It's a cycle, right? It's nature's beautiful cycle. But that's not exactly how it works, right? Take this example in Pokemon. When you have plant, fire, and water, it's the same generally as well. But does that mean every fire Pokemon should be able to be every plant Pokemon? Can every plant Pokemon be every water Pokemon? And every water Pokemon be every plant fire Pokemon? No, right? If you put a Venusaur against a Charmander, the Venusaur has much higher HP, has better experience, might have just straight up use ground moves, right? Just because the Charmander has an advantage doesn't mean it's 
guaranteed to win. It can win. Its fire has an advantage over Venusaur, but Venusaur is a much higher state Pokemon and much stronger. I'm still going to bet on the Charmander if that ever happens, though. No. Maybe Venusaur. I don't know. I don't know. You guys might send me comments about that. But, likewise, not all plants lose to fire. Some plants are actually designed so that they can deal with fire and use fire to their advantage, right? Because I believe in evolution. If you guys haven't seen that, that is the podcast episode titled God, I Choose You, which sounds like a vocation thing, but it's really about evolution. So I highly recommend you guys watch that as well. Uh, It's based off Pokemon puns. So, you know, like Pikachu, I choose you. God, I choose you. Hence the Pokemon references earlier. Sorry, but a lot of plants have used other plants' weaknesses to their advantage, such as many plants vulnerable to fire. So some plants have evolved this ability to use fire to their advantage, such as fire-activated seeds. So bear with me here. You have to use your imagination. Okay. Imagine a forest full of plants like this. Right? It's very tight, compact. It's very dissonant. And there's no room for more plants to grow because... All these other plants are taking up the soil. They're taking up the sunlight. They're taking up the water. You don't have enough nutrients and energy and resources for yourself to grow. So, as all plants do, drop seeds. These special plants have a special resin covering the seed that does not allow the seed to grow until the resin is melted. And that resin is melted through the warmth of the fire. So, when the fire comes, it puts out these massive forests and of plants that are taking up all the sunlight, that are taking up all the nutrients, that are taking up all the water. They're being leveled by forest fires. And these fire-activated seeds, the warmth now melts the resin, and these seeds can grow with no other in the way, right? It's just them. Resonating. That is such a cool sound. I like this timbre so much. I mean, compare that to just... I mean... Oh, sounds so good. Sorry. But that is one way plants have used fire to their advantage. And because that plant has no competition because they're wiped out by the fire it can grow and is more likely to spread that gene on and now that's a very great trait for plants to have another way plants have adapted to this is having tall crowns right having all the leaves way up here when the fire's down here even though the fire and the uh, trees are in the same longitude and latitude. It's at a different altitude. Boom. Science for y'all. But basically, the branches and leaves are so high. right? It's not like a bunch of branches going all the way down. It's just a bunch of branches and leaves at the very top that the fire cannot reach it. Because this is in three dimensions. Um, and there are a bunch of other techniques that plants use to help them with fires but 
none of these really seem to be what we want, right? We don't want plants that can, you know, survive after a fire. We don't want plants that avoid a fire. We want a plant that can be on fire and burn, yet not be consumed. So, there is one other technique left that is phenomenal, and it's called thermal insulation. I know, sounds fancy, or like something that you put in your walls during the winter, but... This is for plants. Uh, these plants survive the wildfires because they have very thick bark or dead leaves or moist tissues on the outside that burn, that catch fire, and the insides, the, the vital parts of the plant are deep inside and the fire can't reach into there. So if I was on fire, if I were on fire, hypothetically, right, my skin would be burning, right, but since my skin's not really that thick, my insides can burn as well, so if I had a really thick skin, right, and the fire would be burning my skin, but my heart and my lungs and my uh, stomach and everything else would be okay, because it's deep within my skin and the fire can't penetrate that deep, so I will be burning alive, but I will not be over consumed by the fire, because my skin is taking the damage for me, right? And that is what we want when we're talking about being on fire and burning, yet not consumed. Because those plants are on fire, they're burning, their bark's on fire, right? But they're not being consumed because their vitals are so deep inside and the walls are so thick that it is not really harming them. Although, if I had thick skin that was burning, that would be harming me because I would have like first, second, maybe third degree burns. But it would not affect my internal organs. Uh, so now we know that this thing exists. It is possible to have a plant on fire, burning, and not consumed. So, burning bush. Completely plausible, right? I don't know. Because now we have to talk about where it is, Egypt, and which plants have that ability. And if a plant in Egypt has that ability, is it a bush? I don't know. I haven't really gone that far uh, to analyze all the, all the flora in Egypt and cross-checked all of them. That's extra. But... A lot of people think they have found a plant, I just looked it up, uh, called the Rubus Sanctus, which is native to the area and would have been near Mount Sinai, so it's a potential candidate for the species it uh, the bush was, but there's no real sign of it being uh, fire... Thermal insulated. So maybe that's not the plant, but maybe it is because maybe God blessed that plant and said, bam, right? Like you're on fire but not burning as a way to get Moses. But another uh, plant that is possible is the 
Dick Tomnus Albus. I'm just going to call that the DA. Right? The DA can actually create fire in a way. Uh, the plant has a scent that, you know, uh, is very alluring. So maybe that attracted Moses a little bit. I don't know. Uh, has flammable gas, which is responsible for its pyrotechnics. The oils are flammable and combustible. So now it has this gas coming out and combustible oils. And we are in the middle of a desert, so it's kind of hot. And uh, the skin can be irritating, so there might be scratching. That might start a spark. I don't know. Uh, propagation must be done by seed, but it takes years to mature. They don't transplant well, but it will live for many years once established. It loves the sun. Maybe that's symbolic. I don't know if that's the right plant either, because it looks very bright. And we're talking about a burning bush, which is going to be bright because it's burning. But I don't know if that's going to be the right plant, per se. I don't want to affirmatively say, oh, this is the right plant, and this is what Moses saw for sure, right? Because... We don't know how much into account we're taking God's blessing, right? Is he taking a normal bush that has no plant uh, fire-resistant ability and just, like, blessing the bush? Is he finding a fire-resistant bush and turning that on fire, right? Is it just, did God just make the fire, Moses walk to this area at the same time fire was going to, you know, come in, like, we don't really know the extent of how God called Moses through the fire, maybe it was already going to be on fire, and God just led Moses there, maybe Moses walked there, and then God turned it on fire, we don't really know the extent of how much God manipulated the world for that, but we can say that it is possible for me to walk in the middle of a forest and see a bush on fire that is not being consumed. So is it really unlikely for Moses to communicate with God after noticing a burning bush that was not consumed? Is it really unlikely to say God used a burning bush to call Moses? I don't think so. So what is weird though is the mentioning of other gods and Egypt and how Egyptian magicians manage to pull off their tricks if their gods don't exist, right? That episode will be next week when we move away from the lonely land with the burning bush into the palace with the Egyptian pharaoh and magicians and analyze snakes and staffs. Thank you. God bless.